Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Do you miss the days when all the answers to life's big questions could be found in the juicy pages of Dolly Doctor? Sex, friendships, relationships, family, life stuff. Dolly gave us total honesty with zero judgment. We learned that it wasn't weird to masturbate, like a lot, and that periods can sometimes be tricky, unpredictable things. We talked about what to do when we had a crush on someone and how to get over relationship breakups. Having Dolly to turn to made all that teenage angst a bit more bearable. Adulthood was around the corner. We would all get our shit together, move to the city to become big-time businesswomen and sleep with Harrison Ford, like Melanie Griffiths in Working Girl. Was that just me? Life was happening. And then we all grew up and realised that everything is still confusing. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. Presented weekly by me, Clementine Ford... This is your place to ask all the questions you still don't know the answers to about sex, friendships, relationships, family and life stuff with the kind of frank advice you could expect to find from the person who loves you most, your big sister. Because life isn't easy. And sometimes we all need a big sister to call on. Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals and non-binary pals. You're listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny and feminist advice on all the things that matter. Life, love, and whether or not you should break up with your no-good nick of a boyfriend. Spoiler, the answer is always yes. We're heading into week three, or perhaps it's week 538, of time in isolation, and that's raising some very big questions for a lot of you. And if I could reach out through the void and give each and every one of you a hug, or a tentative elbow bump, given the state of things right now, I absolutely would. In the meantime, I love to receive your emails, so please do continue to send them to me on bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. Now, each week on the hotline, I'm joined by a very special guest who brings their own brand of big sister expertise to help answer your dilemmas, conundrums, and straight-up anxieties about life. This week, I am bloody thrilled to welcome Jordan Raskopoulos, a Sydney-based comedian, singer, digital content creator, writer, and variety streamer, a kind of internet busker. Jordan's a transgender woman and an outspoken advocate for LGBTQIA and mental health causes. She's an ambassador to 2010, a social services organisation for those youth, and for Wear It Purple, an annual LGBTIQA awareness day for young people. In addition to these very noble accolades, she's also a star jammer for Sydney Roller Derby League and is very good at the tabletop war game Warhammer 40,000. Nowadays, thanks to social distancing, Jordan spends a lot of time in her bedroom in front of a green screen broadcasting interactive comedy, games and music shows live on Twitch TV and is writing a science fiction comedy series called Harold Holt, Doom Zone, about the former Prime Minister's adventures in another dimension. Jordan, thanks so much for joining the Big Sister Hotline. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Clementine. Oh, well, we've been meaning to do some form of a podcast for a while and I'm glad that it's this one. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect you to read out my entire bio, but thank you for that. Well, I was going through it and I did actually take some parts out and I was going through and I thought, I felt guilty about which ones I chose to remove. You know, some of them, God, I don't want to be dragged on the internet for taking taking out some of your accolades. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. Everyone gets dragged on the internet for everything. Oh, you, can't, you can't go anywhere without offending anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so glad that you mentioned the Sydney Roller Derby League in your bio, though, hmm. because I used to play Roller Derby. As well. I know you used to play. You were you were at VRDL, is that right? Yeah, I started at Adelaide Roller Derby, and then I went mm-hmm. to VRDL. And um, I think yeah, you started I after I. Yeah, I think you started after I um, stopped playing. I stopped in two thousand and fifteen, shortly after I broke my ankle. 
Yeah, that that's usually uh, usually ends careers. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah, I think I started twenty sixteen, so probably yeah yeah I took took the baton. Um, but I I'm uh, have been off skates for the last six months with an injured toe. Um, oh no. Damaged, damaged ligament in my big toe, which is kind of my uh, quite important for jamming um, your toes because of all the toe stop work. So. Um, being forced into isolation is also making me, forcing me to heal my body, which is good. Well, and also if you've got an injury that needs to be repaired, you don't have any FOMO. Yeah. This exactly. is the, this is the, you know, something that um, people aren't really talking about a lot necessarily is what do big sportos, how big sportos uh, <laughs> dealing with the isolation? Because, you know, from my memories, I loved playing roller derby, but I just didn't have the time uh, mm. Or the kind of willpower, I think, to commit to it in some of the ways that some of those like serious athletes, you know, it's yeah. a seriously athletic sport. And some of the women I trained with, or some of the people I should say who I trained with, you know, they were training 35, 40 hours a week and working totally. full-time I mean, jobs. I mean, VRDL is, is, is one of the top leagues in the world as well. So, um, but uh, it's a cult and for a good two years there, it was um, it was like the bulk of my life. And I was fortunate in those two years to have gotten like a couple of really big, well-paying gigs uh, in each of those years that kind of like floated me to like ignore my career for the rest of the time so I could play roller derby, uh, which was very unhealthy uh, uh, life view and career, career view. Um, and so I'm a bit better now. Well, it does kind of get its grips into you in that uh, cult-like way, you know. The first, yeah, the you first feel time responsible. You, yeah, and the first yeah. time you start playing roller derby, you, you're like, you're going to get all of the gear, all of the right gear, spend a lot of money on that. So it's good you got these, you know, well-paying gigs because bloody hell, it's an expensive sport. But I want to ask you about um, because I think that your particular experience of you know coming out as trans uh, was it four years ago now. About that yeah about that I, I remember yeah. we did a we did a gig together shortly afterwards and uh, mm. I mean obviously that to have such a high profile advocate for trans issues and also for mental health issues because prior to that um, you were already an advocate I think for anxiety issues and you and I both experience anxiety um, mm. yeah to, to be able to talk to you about those issues on a show like this where a lot of people tuning in maybe younger listeners who are coming to an understanding of their gender identity and seeking not just support but also seeking that really beautiful affirmation of it, you know, mm. the, the sense of not just um, life getting better but like to celebrate it. I always think that it's a really beautiful thing when someone comes out, whether or not they come out as trans or as queer or gay or whatever it might be, to say congratulations yeah, like I often kind of, when I speak about um, coming out, um, you know, one of the big things that I talk about is is the fact that the word um, pride is the opposite of shame mm. and that our journeys as um, LGBTQIA plus people uh, are journeys from shame towards pride. Um, I love there that. Is that there, oh, thank you. Um, but there is also that middle, there's a the middle ground of acceptance and it's sometimes easy to confuse acceptance for pride. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, you have to move through acceptance before you can be proud. But um, there are, particularly with trans narratives, people who accept the fact that they're trans but uh, dislike it um, and, and don't want to celebrate it. And my opinion is that there is a further step in your journey to reach pride um that i encourage people to um go on and it's you know it, it's work and um but if you can get to the point within yourself to go you know what i actually really like being trans i think it's really interesting i think i have a perspective that is so unique and so valuable um and cisgender people cannot possibly um offer that mm. i know things that a cisgender person could never know i know that being hit in the balls hurts more than being hit in the tits right i have that perspective <laughs> that is quite unique uh to me and people like me um and there is a wealth of things and, and it has taken me time to reach my pride um but it is quite wonderful mm. and uh i yeah i encourage people who are um 
grappling with their identity and uh, questioning things and, and feeling, having all the feelings uh, uh, to, to know that there is a really, really awesome place that you can get with it. Um, and that place is pride. And that is being actually proud of who you are, whatever that is. I remember my, um, you know, my dear friend, Stella Young, who sadly passed away at the end of 2014. God, it's the years have just gone by so quickly. and They do now, don't they? Yeah. But, I mean, she would have been, I remember at her funeral, Nellie Thomas saying, mm. you know, that girl was on a rocket to the moon and she was really, she really was. And it was just mm. one of those losses that you think of now in terms of thinking all of the amazing things that she would have been doing and the way that she changed the narrative in Australia in particular but was starting to internationally on disability rights in in the way Mm. that you've become an advocate for trans issues. So Stella used to quote the Laura Hershey poem, You Get Proud by Practising, and I think that that's Mm. what you're you're talking about. It's it's the, the path to pride is not, for a lot of people, is not an easy one, but it's one that has this immense reward not just at the end of it, but also along the way, the things that totally. it, it sounds like you, the journey that you've gone in, you, you, that you've gone on in terms of finding your pride and recognizing that you should be proud and that you have all of these things to be proud of. And I really loved what you said about it bringing, you know, it, it about about it being not just about acceptance, but also understanding and loving the fact that trans people bring this completely unique perspective to the world. And it's not just mm. a, a perspective based on what people might think of as a before and an after, but actually just as a, a completely human perspective. It Totally, totally. And, and, and I think the people around us um, and, and you know, our friends and families go on similar journeys with us. They have their own journey about their relationship to you and they gain perspectives on all sorts of things. I, I, I know uh, during Christmas time with my family, um, th- there's very gendered roles at Christmas time. And, and, you know, there's a sort of thing where the boys go off to play cricket and the women go to congregate in the kitchen. And mm-hmm. it's never really been questioned until suddenly Jordan's there and and everyone's like, oh, what does Jordan do now? Hang on, what are, what are any of us doing? Mm-hmm. Why is this the thing we do every year? Shouldn't we question that? Um, and to see yourself as a, as a catalyst for those kind of uh, questions and changes and stuff can be a, a delight. Mm. What would you say to any young trans person listening uh, who may, what, whatever point they're at on their um journey towards pride uh Mm. but let's let's imagine that they are at a position at the start of that journey perhaps what would you say to them like what would you say to young jordan um i think the biggest thing is and i mean speaking of 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 young young jordan young jordan existed in in a in a period of time where there was very very little discussed about transgender people and the only thing that existed in the media uh, at that time was uh, was parody and and negative and Jerry Springer and um, um, so. But I think young people now there is a, there is a great there is a greater access to um, positive stories. But nevertheless, there are there are definitely people out there um, who feel in a manner similar to how I might, might have felt, uh, and, and that is uh, lonely. Um, and alone and with issues that are unique to them. Um, and uh, that was the biggest eye-opening thing for me was engaging with stories and writings and suddenly coming across stories that were similar to my own mm. and meeting people who um, felt what I felt. And I remember the first time I went to, you know, a, a trans support group and I kind of you know people shared their stories and it was the first and this was after I'd sort of been coming out to family for a little while and friends and it was the first time I didn't have to do the homework for people and explain things to other people and there were for the first time other people in the room who knew exactly what I was talking about had felt it themselves had experienced themselves and were able to validate those experiences for me Mm. um because we often talk about you know queer communities and the trans community and communities and community that but until we actually engage with our identity we exist in a community of one um 
and it is very very um, likely that 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 individual in that community uh, has very ne- a negative opinion about that that themselves, mm-hmm. um, and there is no no one else to say otherwise. Um, so if you are in that position where you are uh, questioning your gender, uh, you have feelings, know that you are not the first person to feel that way, that many, 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 many people feel exactly the way you do. And they have gotten through it and they are uh, in a wonderful place in their lives and they have met such fantastic people uh, and are um, in in communities uh, that adore them. Uh, And you can have that too um, if if you... want to work at it and and make it happen it's absolutely possible for you Mm. that's yeah thank you that's really beautiful and must be so you know I imagine that that is going to be really encouraging for a lot of people to hear I mean that sense of loneliness it goes obviously goes beyond uh, just the experience that you're speaking about and I Mm. and I wanted to kind of touch on what you were saying about it being really important to be in a room full of people for whom you don't have to do the homework. And mm. and when I say that, I mean uh, to broaden that out beyond uh, simply issues of sexuality or gender, that recognition that people feel when they're in spaces uh, where they don't have to explain themselves. So, uh, you know, women who are in spaces, they don't have to explain the impact of sexual assault or the impact yeah. of sexual harassment because they're surrounded by people who understand what that experience is. And I think mm. that for, the, the way I can relate to that is for me that recognition I felt when I was suddenly in a space where I didn't need to be on edge all the time about, uh, you know, if I talked about the experience of being a woman, I didn't need to be on edge about someone turning around and saying, well, I was being ridiculous or I was imagining yeah. it or whatever it might be. I mean, that's obviously a completely different context of what you're talking about and it's and it's it's less impactful in lots of ways but um for anyone to recognize that importance of you know people's people love to talk about like well you're just in your echo chambers on the internet Mm. or you're just in your echo chambers here or there sometimes an echo chamber is exactly what you need to be in to absolutely to help your own mental health and to help your own sense of of you know making your way through the world yeah. Um, I mean, a thing, I mean, and, and this comes from, from a trans perspective, defending your experience as an identity is exhausting. Mm. It takes, it takes a lot of energy to be in an environment where someone questions who you are or what you've experienced and to be in an environment where that, to be, to be a kind of person where that happens consistently throughout your life, uh, weighs on you, uh, and, and fatigues you. Um, so those environments are often, a relief um, from that exhaustion and that fatigue. Um, and, you know, from my perspective, living um, as, a, a, as a male person and, and moving through the through world at that space, it, the um, times where I had to defend my identity or my experiences were very few and far between. And I remember the first kind of year of transition having come out publicly, how much energy I had to be trans and defend and fight and get in there and get in the muck and get into fights on internet and tell people to fuck off. And, Mm. um, but after, um, a while, um, it, it just, it was exhausting and on it. And it was just like, it's trying to, you know, sweep back the ocean a lot of the time that mm. you're having the same fights and the same arguments and um, the same people, you know, the same types of people doubting you over and over again. And um, so those environments are where you don't need to explain yourself and you are safe from um, being questioned yeah. are so important. Are so, so, so important. Um, and, yeah, and I, I really, I mean, and Derby is one of those places for me as well that that um, in a, a sporting environment where my gender identity is not questioned or worried about. Like, there's no one in in my Derby community that sort of has issue playing with or against trans uh, sports people. Um, and you know, it, it was one of the big reasons that I started Derby and and moved away from other sports that I played. It, it's because I knew that it was very progressive. That they're already trans people playing sport, um, playing derby, and that I, again, wouldn't have to do the homework, wouldn't have to face questions, wouldn't have to um, 
deal with, I could just enjoy myself. Mm. I could just enjoy myself. Um, yeah. Well, just before we go move on to the questions, uh, I wanted to thank you very much for sharing that and I think it will be really helpful to a lot of people listening, not just trans kids either, but, you know, people who need to hear exactly that sort of um, advocacy and to know that we can we can all play a part in moving towards a society that is not just inclusive of all people but celebratory of them too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So thank you. Um, okay. You're welcome. So on to the questions for okay. the Big Sister Hotline. Uh, please also note, as ever, my disclaimer in very big flashing lights that neither I nor Jordan Raskopoulos are doctors, psychologists or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just no. two women who've got a little thing called life experience and who make weird shit on the internet. So yeah, questions. I, I did do a year of, of a psych degree, though. I do have first year psych under my belt. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, according to Patina, aren't you are practically a practicing therapist? <laughs> Anxious girl writes. I love my fiancé. We've been together for eight years since we were both 20. I proposed to him at the end of last year, but here's the thing. He gets incredibly bored, not with me, but with himself and his own life. That usually leads to a depressive slump. So he'll often come to me and say he's bored, and then my innate caregiver mode kicks in and and, and tries to fix things by offering suggestions of what he slash we can do. But every suggestion gets knocked back, which sets off my anxiety that I'm quote-unquote not good enough. We then get stuck in this weird place where I usually end up crying and feeling bad for making it about me when it was his problem to begin with. My gut reaction is to present my suggestions and then if he says no to all of them, to simply walk away and let him work it out for himself. But he has abandonment issues, don't we all, and says that only makes him feel worse. Add on to all of that, we're now staring down the barrel of being self-isolated together in our apartment for the next how knows, who knows how long. How do we slash I survive his being bored? Love, anxious girl. Jordan. Uh, my, my suggestion is you need to have a conversation about this issue when you're not having these feelings. Um, that if you're trying to solve, uh, when you're, you, if you're both in a, in a heightened emotional state or in distress and you need help, um, it can be very difficult to communicate what you may need. So um, if this is an ongoing issue for, for both of you, then uh, I suggest find a time when you're both feeling uh, well and happy and in love with one another um, and have a conversation about it so that next time it happens, uh, you can uh, have a bunch of strategies that you've worked on together uh, that you can try. And in, in those um, situations, um, you can remind him and perhaps you could even get him to write a letter to himself um, so that you can give it to him and say, when you felt well, uh, this is the advice that you wanted to give yourself when you're feeling poorly um, and see if, that, see if that helps. That's excellent advice and it was not where my brain initially went. <laughs> um, when I first read this email, uh, I, my first inclination was, <laughs> and at this stage it's almost sounding like a joke that this is always my first response, but my first response was, you got to get rid of him, girl. Um, but then I wrote, I wrote back to anxious girl, and I, because I wanted to check whether or not everything else was okay in the relationship. You mm. know, because if this was just the tip of the iceberg, then I would definitely say, look, it sounds like you've taken on too much responsibility for this man's happiness and well-being, and you need to extricate yourself. So mm. anxious girl did confirm to me that. She says this is the only thing that needs fixing in their relationship, that everything else is wonderful and that she loves him and, uh, you know, I think she can see them being together forever, whatever forever means. Um, you know, I guess my concern with it though, and I think that you, you're right, that coming to it from a perspective where you, you talk to each other when you're both feeling calm, when you're both feeling uh, like you can rationally have a conversation without, allowing emotional energy to overtake what it is you're talking about is very wise. And I really like the suggestion as well of writing a letter to himself so that he can read it later on. I also think that that would work well for her to write a letter to herself and to remind her how she feels. I mean, I guess she's got this email, but build on this, you know, remind, remind yourself how you feel 
in the moments when he expects you to solve these problems for him. Mm. Because that's kind of what's jumping out at me is this the the expectation that she fix it. Yes. And I think that expectation may be felt by both of them or either of them as well. But she's definitely feeling that she's feeling responsible for, for him. And he may feel that she's responsible for, for him as well. Um, but my, my belief is we are all responsible for our own emotions. Mm. Um, and I think that helping him to uh, manage them himself um, is, is probably the, the best piece of advice that I can give. And, you know, then, then you can be the, the, the catalyst for um, him taking responsibility for feeling down. Um, and you can offer him tools to, to, to help because at, at the end of the day, well, I believe that we are all responsible for our own emotions and um, we may need help to um, fix them. Um, mm. But it, it's, it's not going to happen unless we, unless we do it. Um, so I think um, that may lessen the burden that she feels that if they have that conversation and then she is just, you know, doing the favour of pushing the button on what they've agreed. Mm. It does raise the much bigger issue, though, of uh, this, for, certainly anecdotally and from my own experience, mm. it seems to be very much a one-way street that uh, men present to women with these this sort of fix my life, fix my boredom, fix my unhappiness um, to, the, to their partners usually. And yeah. women respond, as she said, you know, the, that sort of whether or not it's innate or whether or not it's socialised, the caretaker mode kicks in only to be rejected. I think that th- it's those things as well that seem to be causing mm. the problem is that she's offering suggestions and he's rejecting them. It seems to me that she's unclear what it is he's actually asking of her. Uh, which is what would frustrate me if I were in her position. And in fact, when I have been in that position has been the frustration. I mean, I accept responsibility for the fact that I am a fixer and Mm. certainly in my friendships, not in my romantic relationships, but in my friendships, I've had uh, some of my best girlfriends say to me, if they've come to me with a problem or if they've come wanting to unburden themselves of an emotional distress, my immediate response is, okay, well, let's think what you can do to make this better. And I think part of that um, is for me, I'm not very comfortable talking about deep vulnerabilities face-to-face when they are real to me. Like I can do a, a mm. podcast like this because they're all external problems. But someone who expects like intense vulnerability from, from me causes a very cliched response. Um, so fixing things is a way of sort of warding off any kind of uncomfortable, inconvenient, yeah. emotional downloading from them. So that might, might might be something as well that she might want to address or that you, anxious girl, might want to address in yourself. But I also think that he needs to take responsibility for what it is that he's actually asking of you. And maybe, maybe he's not clear what that is. But mm. as Jordan, as you say, not only does he need to be encouraged to manage these feelings and emotions himself, but he needs to actually take action. Does he see a therapist? Does he, is he in communication with a counsellor at the moment? Um, if, mm. he's, if he's having depressive slumps, that can't be, you can't be the sole uh, sort of repository for all of those feelings, particularly not if you're in isolation with each other now. No, no. I mean, I, and I think, you know, one of the uh, g- great things that uh, Mr. Rogers said was that feelings are mentionable and manageable and that we should teach children that. And my experience is that um, male children are, are, are not taught that as much as, as female children um, and that our, our, society um expects stoicism um from men and encourage stoicism and then um you know and i'm speaking very broadly obviously um but i uh, uh from my experience of being trans uh, have noticed that you know through transition and studying what i was taught as a teenager and, and younger about how to deal with emotions and, and things um was very different to my sisters and um I have learned to equip myself with um, the ability to manage my emotions and um, as, as through transition. Um, but they, those were not skills that were given to me in my youth because uh, society dictated that I did not need them or that they in, in fact were shameful 
Um, but I think anyone can learn that feelings are mentionable and manageable. Mm. And uh, I encourage everyone to do it. You know, we tell young women to be careful when they go out, um, but we don't tell young men to take care in the same way or, or in the in the way that um, don't go out and create mischief or hurt someone or, or, or all, that, all that kind of stuff because you will be responsible mm. for it. Um, you know, we teach women to be responsible for themselves and responsible for the men around them as well. Um, in so many different ways. And, and in yes. one of the ways, you know, going back to a question here from our little sister, um, one of the ways that we expect women to manage themselves is to manage their emotions. You know, there's mm. no, there is a trope of the crazy bitch uh, <laughs> and no similar kind of acknowledgement of the reality that it is actually men mostly that, expect women to manage their emotions for them. Mm. I mean, I can say from, from a hormonal perspective through transition um, that, that, you know, there was a, a, a flip in the types of emotions that were heightened in my body, whether my, when my body was testosterone dominant or whether my body was estrogen dominant. When my body was testosterone dominant, um, it was very easy. I was very easily enraged and angry, and I, I was, it was very easy for me to become horny. Uh, so they were the two predominant emotions in my life. Um, and when I was estrogen dominant, um, I, I cry much more easily and I get scared much more easily. Um, and like you said, we, we do put a big emphasis on, on women to, in, um, to control that, those emotions, to control those, those heightened emotions of, of being upset and being, being scared and, and whatnot. Um, but we don't say to young men, hey, you've got these hormones in your body. They're going to make you angry and they're going to make you horny, but you have to be in control of that. Mm. Um, it's not society's job to, to control that. Um, and, you know, I, I think often of the lockout laws in Sydney and how um, the, 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 state brought in a, a curfew basically um to curb men's violence against men um but had not made any similar um um changes to the way our, our society operates to to curb men's violence against women um anyway that's a that's mm. a much bigger point and i probably said it briefly at a, at, but yes <laughs> so just very briefly uh back to anxious girl yes take jordan's advice uh, you know sit down and Tell him you you would like to speak to him about this when you are both in a state where you're able to talk about it. Um, encourage him to write a letter, perhaps write one for yourself. But also from from me, I would say if he's resistant to this at all, if he continues to expect you to be the person to manage and sort it out for him and to entertain him, that's the point at which you need to say, this is not my job, I am not your mm. mother. Because that was the kind of the feeling that I got as well when I read it was that he's treating you like his mother. You know, why won't you just fix the problem for him? And when you say we're now staring down the barrel of being self-isolated together in our apartment, you know, and how do we slash I survive his being bored? Well, honey, you don't have to survive his being bored. He needs to figure out a way to not project that onto you. And also, you know, one of the things that kind of stoked in me was the memories of being in relationships like this where I felt – how insulting it is to have someone present to you and and say, oh, well, I'm bored with my life. And you think, well, of course, mm. you're not constantly going to be excited by your partner, but come on, show a little effort. Yeah, yeah you, you, you are not his mother, nor are you his jester. Um, <laughs> you uh, you um, care, care about him, um, but ultimately if he is resistant to um, you helping him, then... Um, he can, he can be responsible for himself and you shouldn't feel guilty for disengaging when, when you can't help. And remember, 28 is still very young. You got together yes. when you were very young. There's a whole other world out there and he might feel like Endgame now, but Endgame starts to look a lot more tedious when you're <laughs> in your mid-30s or your mid-40s and they're still expecting you to solve their problems for them. Just leaving you yes. with that little thought. <laughs> Yes. If, if you are happy with, with aspects of your relationship and you do not feel that they can adequately change, then there are people out there who you will not have those problems with. So if, if it is a deal breaker, then you, you can find uh, someone you are more compatible with, no matter how much you've invested in a relationship. Indeed. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Heartbroken in quarantine writes, Back in mid-January, my boyfriend and I broke up. It was mutual-ish, but I forced the conversation. It felt like the romance had gone and I wanted more. It wasn't an easy decision, but it felt like the right one. I laboured over it for a long... I laboured over it for a long time until it felt like something I had to do. Because things were amicable and because we're renting in Melbourne, we decided to keep living together until the end of our lease. How all our lives have changed in that time. But we're going our separate ways tomorrow. So by the time we've uh, published this podcast, they will have gone their separate ways. And now I'm wondering if I made the wrong choice. Sure, the relationship wasn't meeting all of my needs. But was I meant to work at it? Did I give up too easily? I guess living through a pandemic makes you think about what's important and he feels like family. I feel sad and confused and a bit and a bit lost. Do you think I did the right thing? I will say heartbroken in quarantine 100% you absolutely did the right thing. Yeah. Being being in a relationship you say that you labored over the decision. It wasn't an easy one but it felt like the right one. Um you it was mutualish and you thought about it for a really long time. You put the time and the effort into making this decision and you clearly it wasn't one that you came to lightly. And I would like to be maybe the first person to say to you congratulations. Congratulations for making a choice that prioritized your emotional and physical needs and in which you rejected any kind of suggestion that we may kind of live under in society that you you get a relationship and you lock it down and you just stick it out until the end I think that what you've done is great and it is scary it is definitely scary particularly when you're kind of entering a pandemic and I think anytime anytime a relationship ends pandemic or otherwise (laughs) (laughs) when when that final kind of you know complete broken split occurs in this case you know, you both moving out of the apartment that you were sharing together. It is totally normal to have the feeling of, have I made the right choice? Because it's, this is it, Mm -hmm. it's do or die time. And uh, I think having second thoughts is a very natural human response. Wouldn't you agree, Jordan? Totally. Yeah. I mean, relationships have inertia and, you know, particularly ones that you've invested a lot of time or, 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 or resources or or anything into. Um, And if, if you, if you, stop the relationship you are going to feel um, compelled to to keep moving with it um but ultimately if you are um unhappy and uh you uh don't think you can work on it or you don't want to work on it that's a big that's a big thing if you don't want to work on it then you shouldn't like if you want to if you want to make a relationship better and you want to invest in it then absolutely give it everything you want to give it but when you realize you don't want to that's that's the reason that's the that's the time to leave you know, if, if it's not working and it's, and you don't want to fix it. Yeah. It's interesting. This, uh, this is a repeated theme actually that comes up in a lot of questions that I get sent. Um, this sort of, uh, my relationship is kind of okay, or these things are happening in it that are a bit dis, you know, a bit unsatisfying, but, but in other respects, he's a good guy and, you know, everyone thinks that I'm so lucky to have him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I mean, it's, it would be interesting to get your perspective on the the heteronormativity of <laughs> this idea that like you get a guy and he's you know I mentioned Endgame before but he's mm-hmm. the one that you're meant to get married to and have kids with and be with for the rest of your life and I I just feel like we're not doing enough to tell young women who partner with men or who like to sleep with men that that doesn't have to be your only option. No, no. I think, I think, I mean, as a queer person and as a polyamorous person, um, society uh, prescribes um, a a framework for relationships um, that you meet someone uh, or you, you date a few people, then you meet the one and then you commit to the one. And then these are the rules of the relationship. And if you break them, then it's a betrayal and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I, I believe most heterosexual people invest in that prescribed relationship framework. Um, and many people, many people are happy in that prescribed relationship framework, but your relationship with another person, it can, and I believe should be a negotiation that you should with the person that you love and want to have a relationship, you should question every one of those things that, that is prescribed and you should talk about what, which ones will make you happy, which ones you need, which ones you can be flexible on. Um, and then you should decide on the shape of your relationship and how it fits into 
your the rest of your life. So f- for me, you know, I I am a person who has um, multiple romantic relationships. Um, Stop boasting, and- Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I don't have any. I'm stuck in my house at the moment. Um, they're all immunocompromised and work in hospitals. Um, very unserviced. Um, but and I, I see my need i see it very mathematically because that's the way my brain works but basically it's like a game of tetris my relationship needs are a certain certain shape in my life and the relationships that i have with people are also those shapes and those shapes tessellate with one another to fit like a jigsaw puzzle my needs and i can negotiate with my partners what i want from from relationships and they can negotiate with me what they can offer from relationships and vice versa. And then we decide what shape our relationship is. And then they all, if it fits my need, if it fits my jigsaw, then great. And if things change, we renegotiate and we talk. Um, but I think if you, if you, if you are a person who needs a triangle from your relationships and society says you have to make it a square, um, you are never going to be happy. And, to go back to your previous point um, uh, about people who, you know, date someone or date a, a woman who dates a man who is good enough but not ideal, um, it's like being at Sizzler, you know, and if you go up to the buffet and you bring back something to the table and you have a bit of it and it's all right but it's not ideal, but it's Sizzler. You can <laughs> ignore that plate. You can go and get a whole new plate um, and there is so much food there there's so much food you can find and you can assemble the plate that you want to eat and i can guarantee there is someone out there picking up whatever you're putting down um and i bloody love sizzler (laughs) (laughs) can't go there now though no No, one's no no, one's eating anywhere now no 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 yeah i think that uh you know recognizing that there's a whole there's not only a whole world of options out there for you to explore mm. some of which you may not even be aware that you want right now totally. you know that the- i oh, sorry i just wanted to even even in a monogamous relationship you should negotiate what you want your relationships to look like like if you're the kind of person who only needs uh to see someone once a week and you like your own company the rest of the time you should try and find that with someone mm. you know and if that if that is the level your relationship plays out for the rest of your life and you're both happy with it, then rad, you know. Um, uh, but it's about being honest about what you really, really want. A friend um, of mine, a friend of mine, um, you know, she's the youngest of five children and shout out to Fife. She's, uh, she's the best. She's the youngest of five children and when she was six months old, her father very sadly passed away in a car accident and her mother you know, not only was a single mum to five children, but at some point when those children were youngish, five's the youngest, um, she repartnered with her boyfriend now of uh, almost 50 years, I think, 40, 50 years, mm. never lived together. Because yeah. because her mum was like, why would I want to live with another man? <laughs> um, totally. And I think that that's, again, like you know, like exactly what you're saying, that, the things that we want, obviously every relationship requires some form of compromise, uh, you know, but mm. you should compromise on things like um, what Netflix show you're going to watch together or, you know, mm. whether or not you – who does the dishes if someone does the cooking, that sort of stuff. But totally. you shouldn't compromise on fundamental ingredients for your own happiness. And, Absolutely. you know, when I, when I mentioned before that there being all these options out there, some of which you may not know that you want yet – I think it's also really important for people to recognise and to embrace the fact that we don't begin life with all of the desires that we are ever going to have innately Mm. kind of tucked away in us. Um, Certain things will prompt us to try different things and what feels right, and this is for anyone who's listening who may be in a kind of nuclearish relationship in their 20s or who may be in a polyamorous relationship in their 20s, whatever it might be, the experience that you're having now as you know embrace it and love it and indulge in it for as long as it works for you for as long as it mm. makes you happy and the moment you decide you want something else is the moment where you need to remember you get one life to live and mm. there is no point 
uh, you know, it was a real turning point for me in my 30s to realise that I was only going to be here for a certain amount of time and I didn't get a do-over and I didn't want to wake up at 50 years old and think, why did I make these decisions? Why did I stay in certain situations because I felt like it was the quote-unquote right thing to do uh, or what other people expected of me when now that time is gone? Those years are Mm. gone. And to me, I thought I think like the idea of waking up, if we're lucky enough to live a long life, the idea of waking up 20 years in the future and thinking I've just I've missed out on 20 mm. years of things that I wanted to try and do because I was afraid or because I, I worried about what people would think of me or, I, or, you know, on a more sort of heart-wrenching level, I worried about hurting someone else by yeah. leaving or by mm. letting them down in some way. I mean, those – that – indication of compassion is a sign that you're a good human but it isn't a reason for you to stick around and um, stick something out no and but and also um there's there's two points i want to make first a, a romantic relationship should never be your everything this expectation that a partner is your everything is 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 weird is weird and stupid. The, the 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 notion that you can be absolutely compatible with someone else and that they can feel your every desire is, is ludicrous. Um, that's not to say everyone should be poly. It's just to say that your other relationships in your life are really important mm. too, and that your you you should build uh, very significant friendships um, and 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 other you know pursue things with many people, um, romantic or otherwise. You know, and if there are things in your life that your romantic partner is not into and vice versa, then there shouldn't be an expectation that they have to do it with you. Um, you know, I, I have a partner who really likes rock climbing and I don't like rock climbing. So I don't go, but they have friends who they rock climb with and they all have a bloody great time. Um, mm. The other thing I, I wanted to say that that notion about regret um, and obviously um you know, that is a perspective that was a big part of, of me transitioning. And, and um, a lot of trans women who transition in their kind of early 30s um, face a very similar, from, from my experience, the people I've spoken to and things I've read, uh, moment in their life where they feel like a third of their life is gone and if they don't do something now, then it will never happen. Um, and for me, I think the moment when the, the switch flicked um, when I decided I had to do it was when I read um, an academic paper about uh, different trans narratives for various, you know, the, the, the paper talked about archetypes of trans narratives, which is problematic. But, um, but then it spoke about, um, you know, transgender women in different decades of their lives and how they felt when they didn't, if they hadn't transitioned. And they spoke about someone who was in their seventies or eighties who hadn't transitioned and, the resignation that person felt um, at that age to um, to ha- have to become content with living the rest of their life as a gentleman um, because they couldn't transition at that point in their life medically um, because of other health stuff. And that, that line that the, the um, resigned themselves to live as a gentleman uh, that, cut me right open. And that was the, that was the, that was a switch. That was the thing that was like, yeah, I, I have one life and why spend it wearing a mask? Um, anyway, there you go. Have that. Thank you. That's so beautiful. Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to really follow that, uh, story. Mm. Um, but I guess I will just wrap up that question by saying, uh, yeah, I think that, you should expect in as you as you move into um, a state of being as you consciously uncouple, which I actually side note think is a fucking great term and good on Gwyneth mm. Paltrow for coining it. Like it's a beautiful way of thinking about breaking up a relationship. You consciously uncouple as a pair, and uh, you know you're making emotionally healthy, responsible choices and presumably moving forward in a mature manner that minimizes harm to anyone. Like I don't really see what the problem with that is. Is it, is it, is it intended as a railway metaphor? Is, is that what's going on? I quite like it. <laughs> well, I think that when, when, when Gwyneth you uncouple and, carriages. Yeah, yeah. When Gwyneth and Chris Martin broke up, she came out right. and said that they decided to consciously uncouple. And look, it's a very Gwyneth thing to say, Sure, but you know, occasionally a, what a, a stopped clock does tell the time right twice a day. <laughs> Um, but listen, I think that you should go into this expecting 
and again, for anyone who's staring down a relationship, uh, conscious uncoupling, um, go into it expecting that you will probably feel some regrets and you will sit there once you've moved into your own separate houses, you will sit there and think, did I do the right thing? You'll remember all of the great, wonderful things about your ex-partner and the times that you shared together and you'll feel nostalgic and reminiscent and you'll cry and uh, and those are all wonderful things to feel because it means that actually you were happy together for a good portion mm. of your relationship. It means that you built something beautiful with someone else and you shared a really um, emotionally profound human experience and then that human experience came to an end the time for that relationship came to an end you chose to end it because it wasn't working for you anymore and it's and at some point you will remember the reasons why you chose that but for now I think that there's something quite powerful about allowing ourselves to feel sad and sitting in those feelings of Mm. sadness and emotional turmoil because it means that we felt something we feel we feel grief for the things that matter Totally. And, and there's no reason necessarily to come out of a relationship and have force yourself to have completely negative feelings about it. You know, I, 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 partner and I broke up not too long ago and we both kind of felt that it was time, but we both, you know, we sat down and we uh, were very happy about the time that we had spent together. And for both of us, it, it was very significant when we we're in those points in our lives and we really enjoyed the relationship, but we both feel it felt that kind of, run its course and that we wanted to be friends and we did it. It was the most healthy breakup you could ever imagine. We just sat there and we were just like, yeah, this was really nice and it's, and it's finished now. Um, mm. But I had a really great time uh, and it was really important for the way I was a couple of years ago. Yeah. And there are always more options at the Sizzler buffet. <laughs> yes. All right. Our final question for this episode comes from Lover in London, who writes, Last year I dated a guy, not exclusively, for about six months, who I felt a real connection with. But we lived about three hours apart at the time, and in August I moved to London, which was a plan well before we started dating. Even though I'd fallen hard for him, no way was I going to let my feelings for him stop me from chasing my dream of experiencing life in London. It's just me playing an applause button there. Well done. Oh, good. I, well I thought done, you lover in London. House. I'm like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> to my surprise, we have stayed in touch and nine months on are talking semi-regularly and the current lockdown has led to him, led to us thinking more creatively about how we communicate, such, such as suggesting cute little lunch or dinner dates over the internet where we cook together, get tipsy and talk for hours. We've been slowly getting to know each other more and I'm hoping there might still be something in the future for us. My question is, I'd be really interested in exploring a sexual relationship with him online, but I'm not sure if it would be his thing or how to suggest this so as not to look silly or put pressure on him to do anything he's not comfortable with. I also don't want to ruin any anticipation that I can feel building for when, pandemic permitting, we do finally see each other again. I've never really done anything like this either, so it feels extra foreign to me. I don't really mind if it's anything from just a few cheeky messages to full-blown internet sex. All I know is that I'm curious and keen, but only if it's something shared with him. Any advice greatly appreciated. Jordan, I have a feeling this question might be right up your alley. And I use that deliberately. (laughs) Um, Talk to your partners about what you want. Um, I think that's like the the first step. Like if you have feelings and you're not sure if they're reciprocated, then you should uh, speak openly about, about them. Um, If you are curious and uh, about trying internet um, sexes, um, doing the sex on on the cyber, um, then you, and you should say that you should say, Hey, we're in lockdown. Um, We're across the world from each other, but I would like to try and have sex with you over the internet. Um, would you be up for that? Um, it's a bit weird. I, I admit it's a bit weird and I've never done anything bu- like this before, but I would like to give it a go. Um, and then if you want to, you can research uh, some of the incredible things you can do to have sex over the internet. Um, uh, there are, there are uh, tools <laughs> that your partner can control remotely via an app on their phone, um, which can be quite fun. <laughs> Sex toys, Jordan's talking yeah. about. Sex toys. Oh, right, yeah. 
Yes, yes, not not power tools. Um, <laughs> I mean, unless that's your thing, I don't want to yuck your yum. Yeah, we we're open to all sorts of things here at the Big Sister Hotline. Um, yeah, look, you know, I I keep going back to that line from Buffy when Willow's talking. For anyone who's not watched Buffy, it is on Stan, I believe, and uh, very good lockdown material. A little bit dated in parts, I will admit that, but generally speaking, an excellent seven seasons. Um, mm. But in, you know, the season three episode when Willow is sort of circuitously, shyly talking to Xander, her best friend, about how she, you know, might want to, you know, maybe, uh, you know, do it with her boyfriend Oz. And Xander says to her, Willow, if you can't, if you're not old enough to say it, you're not old enough to be doing it. <laughs> and I feel like that's a really good reminder. It, it is so excruciatingly embarrassing sometimes to bring up sex stuff with a partner when we're not sure how they're going to take it um and that's a completely normal response as well like you don't want to put someone off or you don't want to expose yourself like being vulnerable is very very hard uh certainly Mm. a lot harder than taking your clothes off in front of someone and just going at it um but i if you feel like it sounds like you've built a really good solid basis for you know some kind of intimacy with him he wants to have dinner with you over the internet he wants to get tipsy with you and you talk for hours I'm going to go out on a limb and bet that he probably wants to see your tatas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and really everybody who is not living with their partner is having sex on the internet right now. It's weird <laughs> for everyone. Even um, some of them who are living with their partners are having sex on yeah, the internet. Totally. It's, it's like a friend of mine said that, um, you know, when we were heading into the lockdown, she said that, people who lived separately who were unpartnered were about to start having rampant sex online and people who lived with a partner were about to go through the biggest sex drought of their lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that there are certain things that you can do to, if you're concerned about how he would take it, I agree with Jordan's advice, you know, just bring it up. Just say, hey, how would you yeah. feel about this? You, that's a very respectful, you know, um, nod to consent type approach. Um, or you could just also send a message that's a little suggestive. You know, I'm not suggesting, you know, sending a full-on VAD shot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that might come later if you want. It's personally mm. not my kind of thing, but um, I'm I'm a words person myself. You know, I like suggestive texts and mm. I would just kind of throw out a little nibble on a text and see how he responds to that and let it build up. And, you know, I will say that, in terms of you worrying about uh, it ruining any kind of anticipation for post-pandemic life, uh-uh, no, 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 no. The opposite <laughs> is true, my love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of, one of the, the lovely things that I enjoy about the queer community and, and um, is is the willingness to talk about the awkward, the awkward stuff or just about attraction and, and um, uh I don't know, like it felt when I moved through the world as a heterosexual person that you needed to disguise your, your attraction to someone else in some kind of uh, vague dance that could um, be, um, uh, you could you could pretend it wasn't even there. Um, and I, the, the time where I realised I could just um, explicitly communicate <laughs> what I wanted from somebody else and ask them if they were also wanted the same thing. Uh, it was such a great day, um, you know, and the fact that I now feel comfortable at a party meeting an attractive person like, hello, I think you're really attractive. Would you like to make out with me? And then they feel perfectly comfortable to say yes or no. Um, and I feel perfectly comfortable to accept either of those answers. Um, I, I, I like, I really, really like... <laughs> clear communication and i love that this uh that the the, the modern day um is, is championing consent culture because boy does my brain like it well and also it's very funny to me that um and it, it often comes from heterosexual cis men i find although obviously mm. not exclusively but this idea that somehow asking someone if they if it's okay can i touch you here asking them if they want it asking them what they can what they would like what they would like you to do to them but somehow this like kills the mood oh it's just like yeah. bloody bringing red tape into the bedroom and you're like well only I mean, if you're going to tie me up nothing, with it yeah nothing kills the mood than someone just prodding at your labia instead of asking where to push like um <laughs> just slapping the clit for a bit you know yeah. but, but also that the, you know you you sitting there and, and not saying oh look half an inch to the left and we'll, we'll 
it'd be dynamite. And you kind of just, uh, you just sit there silently pretending that you, um, you're enjoying yourself and pretending that you're doing the right thing, you know what you're doing. Um, and then 45 minutes later, you both just like got question marks above your head when all you need was a five second uh, conversation to say, uh, here, um, or, yeah. or let me do this bit and you do this bit. Um, uh, yeah, I bloody love a chat. <laughs> Yeah, so in conclusion, uh, firstly, I, I think it's wonderful that you're building this great intimate connection with this person. How exciting, honestly. Mm. Long-distance relationships can be extremely frustrating and tedious, of course, but there is something about letter writing and uh, that kind of communication where you can't touch each other. I mean, no one can touch each other now, mm. but you can't touch each other. You're not physically in the same space, but you are. you anticipate contact you and you anticipate texts and i mean that's all extremely yeah. titillating it's and romantic months of edging <laughs> exactly yeah it's the it's the most excruciating pain you'll ever experience but hopefully we'll end with a mind-blowing something or something um i think that yeah talk to him uh and once he demonstrates that he's open to that which uh, you know we can't guarantee anything but i i would sit i would think that the suggestion is strongly in your favour, uh, then you can get I, I'm to... I'm nodding. Yeah, <laughs> Jordan's I'm nodding, nodding which, which won't, ferociously. Which won't come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, then, you can, then you can set to work exploring together what kinds of things you would like to share with each other, you know, and that might be reading... Uh, it might be sending erotic texts. It might be sending photographs. Um, it might be sending. It might be you know reading erotic stories to each other online. I mean, I'm. I, I realize that that's not really the kind of wham bam, thank you ma'am kind of online sex some people might be having, but it certainly works yeah. for me. You, you, whatever you be creative. Photoshop each other's heads onto like scenes from films. Um, <laughs> well, and also don't underestimate the uh, the pleasure that can come from sending someone a very saucy text when you know they're in the middle of a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Um, I mean, in in fact, going back to uh, wearable sex toys, there, there are sex toys that, that you can wear and they can be triggered remotely at any time of day. Um, uh, and As so, a surprise. Yeah, you could... You could you could you could interrupt a Zoom meeting with a with a vibrating little friend. The world, my love, is your oyster, and I say go for it. And look, if he says that he's not keen, or if it makes him feel embarrassed, just that's going to sting, and you might feel a little bit embarrassed yourself. But you absolutely do not have to be. You know, you mm. you have no. There is nothing in that in any kind of respectful dialogue like that that should cause you any kind of shame. If he doesn't yeah. want. To, to you know develop a relationship with you like that that's fine that's completely his prerogative and mm. it, it'll be good for him for speaking up but there's again like sort of what you were saying before Jordan about clear communication it's really wonderful when you get to the point in your life when you, you kind of become old enough and uh, experienced enough I guess in terms of rejection <laughs> experienced a lot of rejection where you kind of go you know what I'm just not going to beat around the bush anymore and that doesn't mean that you have to suck the fun out of everything but mm. you do sort of get more confidence in saying to people hey I'm really attracted to you or hey would you mm. like to go on a date with me or hey would you like to send me a photo of your dick um yeah <laughs> you know maybe or, or oh hey next time we eat dinner together over Skype why don't we have our tops off yeah just and and if they say no, they say no. But if they like say yes, boobs. then if they say yes, then you're going to suddenly think like, wow, worried about all of that for nothing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, and I also think, just um, just think about okay. think about how exciting it's going to be when you finally do get mm. to touch each other. Yeah, and be confident in your own attractiveness. You are gorgeous and very attractive, and there there are people who think the world of you. Yeah, and anyone would be thrilled to have you offered a sex with him over dinner, lover in London. Mm. We have come to the end. You've been listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back. 
your big sisters. You can find Big Sister Hotline on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you look for great content. And you can also listen to all the back episodes. If you like it, then please do consider rating and reviewing it because it definitely helps. You can send your questions to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com or contact me directly on Instagram at clementine underscore forward. And also, if you'd like to support the ongoing development of this podcast, you can do so at my Patreon account, which is www.patreon.com forward slash clementine forward. Jordan, before I let you go today, would you oh, yeah. like to promote anything you're doing? Sure. I, I also love that you put the www in. Not many people do it now, nowadays. It's um, what a throwback. Um, <laughs> You can find me across many social media platforms uh, making great content uh, by searching Jordan Rasco uh, on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitch, TikTok, uh, all sorts of things. I'm very proud of the content I'm doing on Twitch at the moment, twitch.tv slash Jordan Rasco, um, where I, um, I'm going to, after this, I'm going to live stream some Animal Crossing. Uh, and we're going to have a great time. I'm going to wear my mullet wig. Um, <laughs> so, and if you want to give me money, you can give me money uh, through Patreon as well. Well, what's your Patreon? Is it Patreon? Jordan Rasko. Jordan Rasko. Jordan Rasko. It's www.patreon.com forward slash Jordan Rasko. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jordan. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and get your wonderful insights on the world. And uh, I really, you know, genuinely serious moment of sincerity here. I think we're so lucky to have someone who demonstrates such beautiful compassion and inclusivity and also such courageousness in you know as you said working towards that pride and encouraging pride in other people and I feel really fortunate to have you as a friend so thank you you're welcome I am excellent (laughs) you have been listening to me Clementine Ford with my guest Jordan Raskopoulos Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead. The Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.